Hey, it's Castle. And it's Min. And you're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. On this week's episode, we're joined by our good friend, Evan Kuros, and he's doing some fantastic work. Right, Min? Yeah, he is. We're going to learn a lot about how people experience uh, personalized individual weather conditions in their own neighborhoods, in their own homes, and on a day-to-day basis. And then also... We're going to talk a lot about Moana, <laughs> some spoiler alerts. If you still haven't seen it, Castle, cough, cough. Um, and we get to catch up a little bit too. So this episode has been a long time coming, but we're finally glad that we're able to share this information with you. Yeah, like Mint said, we are glad to be back and Weather Hype is coming up next. <laughs> Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring Get gone, I get gone And I don't need anyone to know better and welcome everybody to Weather Hype. We have a special guest today, Evan Kiris, who is a master's student at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, who's studying environmental conservation. Hey, Evan, how's it going? What's up? It's going great, guys. Uh, hey, Castle, and hey, Min. Hey, it's been a super long time when since we've really talked. We last saw each other at the AMS meeting in Phoenix, right? How long ago was that? That had been January 2015. Dang, almost three years. So that was when Castle and I saw you. Yeah, it was. And we first met you. Castle, where did we first we meet? We first Evan? met him at the ICB, which is the International Congress of Biometeorology. I think that's the correct terminology. Um, in Cleveland in October or September of 2013, I believe. Correct? Man, it goes back that far. It does. <laughs> Wow, that's insane. Because I remember we were like all sitting down and I think everybody had gone to some kind of social and we were just hanging out at the embassy suites because they have like awesome (laughs) happy hour. And so they're like, hey, free alcohol and free food from five to seven. And so we're all kind of just chilling. And then our friend Jenny Vanas, she was like, hey, I know a cool student named Evan. I think you guys should meet him and you you guys will get along. (laughs) And we're like, oh, God, what are we getting ourselves into? (laughs) (laughs) But we did. We got along. Yeah, we did. Great. I think uh, it was it was such a unique opportunity. I guess we'll talk a little bit more about it later. But um, the Congress on Biometeorology and the ICB uh, meeting was very intimate and about all things related to uh, meteorology and bio- biology together. And so I guess kind of the reason we brought you on here today is you have some awesome research to talk about. Um, but before we get started, is there anything else you guys want so to talk about? We just discussed the International Congress of Biometeorology. We should probably discuss what biometeorology is. You kind of mentioned it's a combo of biology and meteorology together, but when you try and think about those two disciplines coming together, what does that exactly look like? So if I were to pose the question, what is biometeorology to both of you, what would your definitions be? Uh, I'm going to defer to Evan <laughs> real quick while I think. Okay. <laughs> Well, I think that, I mean, just the, the title itself captures mm-hmm. a lot of it. But I think that, like, within uh, science and the study of knowledge, there's so many uh, research which brings together different fields. And that can be so valuable for us to explore new boundaries and to be innovative in different ways, bringing methods from one field to each other. And biometeorology is another example of that. 
where you can use methods from biology or ecology and meteorology or climatology uh, and really get at some of the intersections that neither of those fields would get at alone. And when you have a, a name for it, you can really bring people together that wouldn't have come together otherwise. So at this conference, I went to all of the climate and health uh, sessions. And if you go to just AMS, then they have a lot of climate and just a little bit of health. And if you go to the, the health meetings, then they have a lot of health sessions and a little bit of climate. And when you're at a biometeorology conference, then you get a lot of both. And so uh, I don't know if that really no. defines it, but I think that was great. as much as highlights the value of, of it. Yeah, I think um, you brought up a lot of great points of about bringing together all the different intersections of different disciplines and kind of morphing it. And I remember when I went to the biometeorology congress or conference in uh, Cleveland, they had a lot of awesome talks, and I remember one of them was about um, tourism mm -hmm. and weather and how mm. weather affects tourism at different uh, zoos and other tourist attractions. And then um, one of the research things that Castle and I had done with our advisor at UGA was looking at how heat affects football players and then um, how that goes into ideas of physiology and acclim acclimatization. And so mm -hmm. these are ideas and fields that I think – uh, people were like, oh, that's interesting. And when you put the biometeorology tag on it, it helps them to understand it more. Like, it truly is a great blend of biology, maybe even physiology, and then atmospheric sciences together. And Castle, you have an official definition, right, for those who still <laughs> might not understand? What is um, that definition? So that definition, and this is provided by the International Society of Biometeorology, which is the group that hosts the International Congress of Biometeorology. And it's considered an interdisciplinary science that considers the interactions between atmospheric processes and living organisms, be that plants, animals, and or humans. Um, so basically, it brings together research from different disciplines, including but not limited to geography, biology, mathematics and statistics, environmental science, and physiology. And it, it helps us like come together, like Evan was saying, kind of think through these methodological differences and kind of hopefully share things within the discipline and be able to talk about uh, these biometeorology topics. And so that brings us to a cool experience or a, I guess a research that you've been doing, Evan, um, into individual experience temperature or IET. And we talked about it when we were in Cleveland and it was a really, really fascinating topic that you were doing. And so we were wondering if you could talk a little bit more about uh, the work that you've been doing. Sure. I guess that's a good segue from biometeorology because I'm I'm an ecologist primarily. Uh, that's what I study. And ecologists measure temperature just like we measure all sorts of other things about the environment, like soil, acidity, and uh, biodiversity and things like that. And so as an ecologist and someone who is interested in cities, when I started learning about the urban heat island effect, which is this idea that cities tend to be hotter than their surrounding areas, this is important for plants and animals that live in cities, but as I became interested in how that might affect people too. Uh, and I was interested in using ecological methods to to study this question, which is part meteorology related, but in cities is a, more of a sociological and anthropological question. When you're an ecologist, you don't think that much about you know, what are the, the underlying reasons why animals do what they do. You just kind of measure them and you save the speculation for others. For humans, we can measure what they do, but we, we have an easier access to the norms, the motivations, the inspirations, the fears that 
motivate behavior and, and affect what people do and how. And so even though I'm an ecologist, I've always been interested in the more social science side of things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I thought this would be an interesting opportunity to apply ecological methods, sociological methods to understand an environmental human health problem in cities. Um, and so this idea of individually experienced temperatures uh, is this idea that people experience temperatures themselves as they move around the city, going inside, outside, uh, into parks, into uh, office buildings, um, down shaded streets or not shaded streets. And their temperature experiences might be very different than their neighbor's temperature experiences or their sister's in a different city or their cousin in a different neighborhood in the same city. And it might be important to understand these differences between people's experiences, which isn't something that we'd really looked at before. That's yeah, awesome. So cool. And so you use iButtons, which are little devices that can take temperature constantly throughout the day. And so your participants that you gathered would wear these iButtons and that was uh, then you would download the information after a set amount of time to observe how their environment changed temperature-wise throughout the day, correct? So if somebody went to work, uh, they might be in an air-conditioned building, but as they step outside in a really hot area, then they would uh, it would be really warm for them, and the I-button would reflect that. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about the I-button part of the, uh, the research? Yeah, you, you nailed that on the head. So I-buttons, you have to imagine like a quarter, maybe like a dime. Yeah. Nickel. No, nickel. <laughs> like a nickel that's like fat fat nickel and it, they're that color too they're silver and they measure temperature continuously you program them ahead of time because they just exist on their own mm-hmm. uh, like they don't have any wires connecting them to anything and you give them to people and you say hey can you hold on to this for a week just don't put it in your pocket don't leave it at home just carry it with you outside your body exposed to the air and it will measure the temperatures that you're experiencing and so i had them on these little fobs which are um, kind of little keychain-like things, and people could clip them onto their belt loops, onto their bags. One of my participants wore it on their hat. <laughs> oh, cool! Um, so people could kind of stylize their eye buttons, and you know they could choose a color nice. of their fob, which that was, was nice. nice. <laughs> um, some fashion, right and here. then they super fashionary weather. Yeah, <laughs> fashion weather science. So, so that's right. So they just carry it. We we did it for a week. And they were measuring every five minutes. And then you get continuous sequence of weather data that's personalized to that person. Uh, and then when we have a whole bunch of people carrying these at the same time, we can start to see when are people experiencing the same temperatures? When are the really big differences? And then what do we know about these people? Do they live in different neighborhoods? Do they have different jobs? Do they? What are their preferences as far as their indoor cooling? Uh, how old are they? And we can start to say, what are, which of these differences in their personal attributes or their personal behaviors might explain the differences in their temperatures that they're experiencing? And so you mentioned the use of the I button, and you probably use other like meteorological data sets as well. But then originally you said this, you kind of think it's interesting to approach this from like an ecological or anthropological uh, perspective. So do you use other research methods uh, to accompany the I buttons and meteorological data sets? Yeah, so the we use um, weather data from the city, which would come from usually airport mm-hmm. or other meteorological observatories or observation station. Um Ecologically, the uh, there's potential to use uh, vegetation data and GPS data about where people are moving. We ha- I haven't done that to get a better sense of their their natural environment. 
in the city is really helpful to understand what type of microclimates or small climates uh, people are walking through. We did use more social methods to get at more of the sociological and anthropological components. So we surveyed our participants before, during, and after the study period to get a better sense of their personal attributes like age, um, health status, mm -hmm. gender. Um, and during, we were interested in their comfort during the day and what activities they were engaged in. And we, at the end, we also interviewed them to get a, a better sense at their kind of their understanding and their role of their neighborhood and their city. Um, we were interested in some of these larger scale um, effects that might uh, motivate people's different paths through a neighborhood or how comfortable they feel outside in the place where they live. Um, we might not get that from just age or temperature data alone, but these larger stories uh, tell us more about what people are experiencing. And so why. this kind of brings me to the idea of uh, tailored messaging. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. And these kind of research methods kind of lead me toward or lead me down a path of uh, we could better understand people's personal experiences and then send them a message that is tailored to those experiences. And so I was wondering if you thought about that at all or about including a communication perspective into your future research or uh, perhaps bringing on a communication scholar to collaborate with, um, because I think this could be a really interesting angle to go towards tailored messaging. We've talked about the pros and cons of it, um, but I think if it's done correctly and using these very tailored methods that you've discussed, um, it could be possible to maybe send someone a heat warning um, that is experiencing certain temperatures, but then if that person is inside, they may not need that heat warning. Yeah, I think that this is absolutely the direction that this research should go. Well, let's just assume f that everybody has a smartphone to start right. uh, or some type of de personal device that can give them these messages. And we can get back to that assumption later. But um, if if this device that can give them messages can also record uh, their, their temperature they're experiencing, or if we know enough about this person that we might be able to predict with some certainty what types of things, risks they might be experiencing, then we could give them messages that um, they can uh, interact with to kind of modify for the future. One of the biggest problems of just measuring people, of the temperatures that they're experiencing, is that that's one, only one part of a very complex equation that puts right. somebody at risk for health of, of adverse health outcomes, negative health outcomes, or discomfort. You also need to know humidity, you need to know wind speed, you need to know how hot, how, how strong the sun is. And then they have their own body that's interacting right. with those four variables. You're, you have your own health status, your acclimatization to the, the climate. People have their own kind of comfort, uh, their own preferences within that too. Um, but your metabolic rate, I mean, there's so many things that would determine how much risk you actually have mm -hmm. given a certain temperature. Even if we're just, even if your phone is recording all that information about the environment, that might not mean, like you and I could be experiencing the same thing for three hours and I might be at risk and you might not. Right. And that's probably because yeah. you're from, you're living in Georgia and I'm in Massachusetts. Right. And so we'd want to be able to interact with these things so that our devices can learn what types of things we're uncomfortable with 
as far as, uh, yeah, then I am pretty hot. And thanks for the warning. I, I actually didn't notice or I was really absorbed in my work or I have to commute and uh, by foot to work. And so I don't really, I can't really change my, my exposure right now. But now that I know that this is dangerous, I'll bring an umbrella tomorrow. And now, you know, phone that I'm carrying an umbrella, you know, we, we want right. to be able to interact with these warnings so that they can be as personalized as possible and so that we can trust them. Um, so yes, that is the that is the direction, but there's you know whole, so, so many moving pieces of that. Not only yes, do you need yes. a communication scholar, you need some pretty amazing uh, developers to exactly. uh, to pull it off. But it's a pretty exciting idea, I think. Two follow ups to that: Do you guys ever go to like an airport bathroom or just like anywhere where they have like a little like podium where they have a like a happy face for a yes and a sad face for oh, a no? Yes, and so yeah. it would be awesome. Those are great. I guess going into the idea of. Um, having those warnings set out and if people find them useful in that moment like if they find it useful <laughs> hit yes if not hit no and then maybe you get a better through i guess like computer stuff you know you figure out whether or not like people um preferred that piece of information or if it wasn't very useful mm -hmm. for them and then you can tailor it from there one of the directions we took this in phoenix uh which i find intriguing was we were asked because we did this study in boston and we did it in phoenix we asked people about cooling resources and hydrating resources in their neighborhood. So cooling resources would be pl places that you know you mm -hmm. can go when you're hot. So imagine you're it's, it's hot, you're walking down the street and you're like, oh my God, I need a break. And But down the corner, there's that cafe that you know if you go inside, there's air conditioning and no one's going to bother you, that would be a cooling resource. Your home could be a cooling resource if you have air conditioning or fan or good ventilation. There might be a shady park that you would consider a cooling resource. And you and I might not consider the same place a cooling resource. For example, I might not like that park for whatever reason. I might not feel comfortable, and you might. So it's a cooling resource for you or not for me. And then there's hydrating resources, which are places you know you can get water, either buying it or public water fountains or you know water fountains in buildings that you're really not supposed to be <laughs> drinking from, but you can. And drink communities from anyway. also opening cooling centers and hydrating centers mm -hmm. um, within their own community if conditions are uh, right for that, where they feel that there are not sufficient cooling resources, correct? Yeah, right. So those are formal, I'd call those formal cooling mm -hmm. okay. and hydrating resources, cooling centers. Because these require centers, some activation which are, right, of like some sort of heat alert or something before they're activated within the city. That's right. And they're usually managed or staffed. Um, in Boston, these are uh, cooling centers are places that are, are just normal community centers that mm -hmm. turn into cooling centers. In Arizona, sometimes they'll just create pop-up hydrating centers with okay. bring tents and um, water bottles so it's it can it varies by city uh, but these informal resources the ones that the city is not managing are the ones that we were interested in and i i thinking about this kind of personalized app if you're walking down the street maybe you're not in your neighborhood and you got that warning if we could crowdsource mm. informal mm. cooling resources we could then let people know say hey looks like you might be hot um, and we know you're hot because you've been personalizing this app, just like right. we were talking about. And by the way, in two blocks, there is a cafe where you you know you could just get one of those clear plastic cups and drink water from. So just so you know, it's there, um, and you can cool down if you you know just like don't you're not telling people what to do, right. but you're providing them with information that they didn't already have, so they can make better decisions yeah, yeah, if they wanted sure. to. And then maybe you could get a discount at that oh. cafe because you're using the app, so you, you know? So you have better comfort, you're safer from the extreme weather, and you might get a discount on your favorite beverage. 
To take this in a little bit of a different direction, I was wondering if your research could help guide um, policy on like environmental racism and environmental justice. So you have people who live in different types of neighborhoods. Some might live in a more um, socioeconomically low uh, class neighborhood where they don't have the resources for maybe AC or they don't have even parks because there have been a lot of studies that have shown that low income areas don't have green space. Um, and so I was curious if, you know, understanding the demographic information behind those you surveyed and also having the I button information and understanding, okay, people in this type of neighborhood maybe have experienced more uncomfortable, warmer temperatures versus a neighborhood that had uh, more resources and more green space. And if that could somehow um, guide people to really take a look at how the environment is so different, even within like a major city, different neighborhoods could be experiencing such different conditions and the people in those neighborhoods are uh, seeing the effects of that environmental um, injustice in a way. Absolutely. And I'd like to answer that at three different scales. So one is the city scale, one is the neighborhood scale, and one is the scale of a day. So at the city scale, you, you've, I think you've hit on some of these injustices that we already know about, inequality in green space access, inequality in public resources, um, like cooling centers, like hydrating opportunities, um, even street trees that lower temperatures. Similarly, we see inequality in access to home cooling due to affordability and electricity costs. So at the city scale, we already know what some of these differences are between different parts of the city. And we already know to direct our resources to address some of these inequalities at the city scale. What individualized monitoring can do is to sharpen our understanding of difference within the city. And it might tell us that in this neighborhood versus that neighborhood, the difference is exactly what we thought based on what we know about the parks there or the mm -hmm. uh, income there. Or it might be that in this lower income neighborhood, people actually aren't that hot because of whatever reason, because they, um, because there is this one park that even though it's the only park, people go there and they feel safe and they're comfortable. Or um, people, when it's hot, they hang out in the businesses that are cold rather than being in their hot apartments. Whereas in this higher income neighborhood or this middle income neighborhood, people, some people have AC, some people don't, but nobody goes to the parks that are there. And so actually they're, they're more at risk. Like we don't, we wouldn't know that if we were just looking at income alone or at green space alone. So that at the city scale, this can sharpen our understanding of difference and how it works um, to, to address inequality uh, and, and injustice. At the neighborhood scale, where we might look at a low-income neighborhood or even a middle-income neighborhood, individual monitoring can help us say, well, who within this neighborhood is, is the most at risk? And rather than a, target all of our resources to an entire neighborhood, we might say that it looks like men in this neighborhood are the people at risk or residents of Hispanic or Latino ethnicity are the ones at, um, at most risk in this neighborhood or people who have this type of occupation. Uh, and so rather than target a whole neighborhood and spend more resources that way, we might have better targeting within neighborhoods with understanding that inequality happens at that scale too. Finally, at the daily scale, we don't think enough about occupation when we think about 
neighborhood injustice. So there's lots of good work helping people work who work outside deal with temperature. But at the neighborhood scale, we just think, is this neighborhood hot or is it not? But people leave the neighborhood to work and come back or they, they might not even they might be unemployed. So understanding daily schedules and saying might not be that even this is a hot neighborhood, everybody works at an office, so it's fine because during the day they're they're okay. Or even in this cool neighborhood, everybody works outside, so it, it is a problem. But it, they don't work outside in their neighborhood; they work somewhere else. So it's all these little details that makes personal monitoring or individual monitoring so valuable for injustice issues. That's so awesome! I I wow. like how you broke it yeah. down scale by scale because each is yeah. very different, and I think it helps to, you know. If it doesn't help to, if it doesn't necessarily lead to policy, it at least educates people and lets them understand how things can be different for different people at different levels, at different scales. So, um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of what you do, and I, I can't wait to see where it goes next. And all this great work that you've been doing in the past few years, um, what is your master's research? Is it still building on some of these ideas? And where is it now, and where are you taking it into the future? Well, the the biggest culmination of all this research actually just got published a few days ago. Oh, nice. Ago. Congratulations. Congrats. So I'll make a plug for that. Thank you. It's, so this is a paper in Environmental Health Perspectives called Opportunities and Challenges for Personal Heat Exposure Research. And uh, this was a commentary paper that I wrote along with like 13 people, um, many of whom I met at, at these conferences, actually pretty much all of whom I met nice. at, various, at these conferences. Um, and in this paper, we, we tried to summarize the state of the field of personal mm-hmm. monitoring for heat. So in my studies, I call the individually experienced temperatures which I think is great for when you're just measuring temperature. But we now call this idea personal heat exposure, or PHE. By talking about heat, we can now capture humidity and wind and, and solar mm. and all sorts of other things. So it's just a little bit more broad. And so in this paper, we um, summarize the studies that have been done to date that look at individual temperatures or humidities. Uh, we kind of give it a theoretical basis, um, and we situate it in the fields of exposure science, meteorology, um, health science, um, risk, uh, vulnerability, and all those things, and we kind of just make a roadmap for uh, what what could what could and should be done, and how to do it. Just like I did a few years ago, or others are doing now, saying oh, I'd like to measure something about people and which which uh which eye buttons should I use, and and how do I analyze it, and what other things should I take into consideration as I do it. So we're really excited about this paper. Um, and we hope that it will really catalyze more research and conversation about personal heat exposure research moving forward. So that's the biggest culmination of the research. You so sent far. me this yesterday and I was like kind of freaking out a little bit because I just sent off a book chapter talking about novel and unique approaches for heat research. And so I included your other IET paper, um, but I need to talk to the the editor and be like, I need to include this last resource. <laughs> so <laughs> I will be emailing them right after we uh, finish this podcast episode. Oh, great. Well, congrats on working on that Thank book you. chapter. That sounds yeah, really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I did it with um, Dr. Grunstein, our men and myself's previous like undergrad research advisor. Um, and we talked about basically just like the current uh, landscape of heat research. And so we talked all the way through personal heat exposure, 
uh, stuff, but we also talked about risk communication and heat as well as uh, kind of some urban heat island effect stuff. So it should be pretty, mm. pretty cool. You know, when, when you first presented this information in 2013, it was really inspiring and really like awesome. And as years have gone by and going to different meetings and conferences, I've started seeing more people delve into personalized weather. And so I think it's a great, um, you know, momentum that's being built in this type of research. And I think that what you're doing, what other researchers and collaborators are doing together now will help to definitely inform and improve how we think about weather um, in our enterprise for sure. I, you know, I, it was bound to happen because this is, mm-hmm. everything is being personalized. And I, can I share a story about how it all came to happen? No, you may not. What? You can't, sorry. What? Anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. So <laughs> I, I'm an ecologist, right? And I came up with this idea as an undergrad and without having much of a sense about the meteorological literature at all, because that just wasn't what I focused on or wasn't what I was reading. Um, and so I did this study and, and I had a little grant from my uh, honors college to do it. And I, so I had the data in hand and I was in Arizona visiting cousins. And um, one of the papers that I had been reading and really liked was by Sharon Harlan, who was at ASU at the time. Um, and she had been looking at differences between neighborhoods and from an environmental justice perspective in um, Arizona, in Phoenix, with regards to temperature, of course. And so when I was in Arizona visiting uh, cousins, I sent her an email. I said, oh, I just did this study for my senior thesis, and I'd love to meet and talk about it because I really admire your work. And she said, uh, sure, okay, that sounds great. And I went to her office, and I like, had printed up some of my data, and she was like, oh, my God, we were thinking of doing something like this, too, in Arizona. But it was really hard to get money for it because it had, it had never been done before, as far as we knew. And so people don't really like to give you money if you have like a new idea that hasn't been at least pilot tested. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So she said, I'd love to help you with this. And actually, um, there's a new postdoc coming to ASU. He's looking for an apartment tomorrow. So I can connect you. And if he's free, maybe you can keep talking about it with him because he actually knows a little bit more about the details of this type of work. So the following day, I met with him at a cafe and he was also very excited. His name was Dave Hondula. <laughs> oh, no way. I never Dave. knew about this story. Me either. I love it, though. Keep going. <laughs> so we were at this cafe, and I showed him the data, and he also freaked out and told me that he had just submitted a grant proposal to do basically this, in, but again, had, this, had heard back from the reviewers that they were concerned because this method hadn't been used before. And all of a sudden, this kid showed up out of nowhere with the data showing that this <laughs> method was viable. Uh, and that was the start of a beautiful friendship collaboration um, <laughs> and uh, research partnership on individually experienced temperatures. So Dave helped me analyze the data. He helped me publish uh, the first paper, um, which we've been talking about in Boston, um, also with the help of my undergraduate advisor, Japonica Brown Saracino. And then I went to Arizona after I graduated to do this a similar study in Phoenix with Dave and Sharon. Um, so it was all just kind of a, a funny, um, a, a good timing, good coincidence. But what, what it shows is that people had been thinking about this and someone was going to do it eventually. And it was just a matter of time and resources. And I was really lucky as an undergrad to just, you know, in an honors college when they have money to fund senior theses to be able to have the support mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, so good plug for, you know, supporting undergraduate research. Um, and then for this I guess I'll finish the story with this 
a big commentary we wrote in environmental health perspectives. So Dave and I thought that we were the first people that had been doing this type of personalized monitoring. Uh, but uh, like after we our paper got published, we found another paper that had done it in Alabama. So we're really excited. We're like, oh my God, people are doing it. This is great. We emailed the <laughs> authors, um, Molly and Julia, at the uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham. We're like, oh my God, your work is so cool and inspiring and exciting. We've been doing similar things. Let's talk. So we got on Skype. And uh, of course, ideas for collaboration were the first thing to happen. And that's when this paper kind of came about. Like, people aren't really doing this, but as we, as we know... This small group of people seeing that it's important, it's the next step. Let's try to get something out there that'll help people make personalized heat exposure a thing. And uh, so, then here we are. So this has been a really wild adventure. Yeah, that's that's, that's so, so cool. great. And it all kind of started with a trip to visit your cousin, <laughs> I guess, huh? Oh, everything starts that way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. You just you just don't know how things happen, and then when they do happen, and you're like, wow. And then look at what we're at now, like. It's a magical area of research that so many people are, are getting on board with now. And you keep finding more and more people. And it's like, it's like a train that never ends. Like you just keep picking up awesome people. And then it's like this, I don't know what I'm going with this metaphor. Well, and, and then you end up in a, in a, you end up in your car, in your driveway, in your pajamas, being interviewed for a podcast with your friends oh that God. you met four, four years ago. So it's, you never so, know. So literally Evan is in a vehicle in his driveway right now because there are people in his house and he was very nice enough to to still do this with us well, and sleeping. have this podcast recording oh they're all sleeping yeah oh dang <laughs> well no lie i definitely was sleeping at like 9 40 and then i woke up at 9 41 and texted castle and was like pretending like i'd been awake for a while and i was like hey let's do a sound check in 10 minutes he's like all right but we all just woke up so we're like we're so tired but this is really fun and we all have morning voice so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay we i think we're doing pretty well um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we do a quick social thing and then let you go? Um, I'll, let me, I'll just, uh, talk briefly about what I'm, my current research is about, um, okay, sure. yeah, sure. this is an interesting change of directions, but as I've said over and over again, I'm an ecologist and for my master's research, I'm still really interested in personal exposure, but my topic has switched from heat to biodiversity, uh, which Definitely. is a little bit more mainstream for an ecologist to look at but just like for heat in the heat world we tend we until this kind of personalized research came out we tended to think about places where there might be differences in heat as opposed to people who might have differences differences in experience in the biodiversity world we similarly tend to think about places that have more biodiversity than other places i'm interested in exploring kind of the, the person level experience of biodiversity where are people experiencing plants and animals where they live at school on their way to work um, and how might there be differences between people what does that mean for them um, and their connections to nature um, their interest in the environment and environmental activities and then zooming back out what does that mean for inequality and injustice as far as opportunities to have meaningful nature experiences but also exposure to nature we know is good for your health, um, is good for your immune system, is good for your mental well-being. And so we can still look at some of these larger scale injustice issues by looking at individual experiences with plants and animals and biodiversity. So that's what I'm doing for my master's right now. 
It's a whole nother conversation, but it's way less related to weather and is a different type of hype. <laughs> e- ecological hype. Eco hype. Um, <laughs> I have so many questions, but uh, we will bring you back on for that next time. Holy crap. But I, I see some ideas, but, but we can definitely talk about that later. But wow, that's, I love what you're doing. God, I'm such a fan. I'm like fanboying so hard. <laughs> Don't mind me. Just in the little room over here on an island. Fanboying. An island. You'll be able to find all of Evan's amazing, awesome papers on our website if you are interested. Um, also, if you... If the International Society of Biometeorology sounds like something that's right up your alley, we'll also have links to those websites and resources. You can join the students and young professionals group, um, and we'll have links to those as well. Evan, is there somewhere we can find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TempTalker, which I created yes. with you two in ICB. Yep. Uh, yes. It was a big deal. I even made my little icon with you guys. It's awesome. So at Temp Talker. I'm so glad it's still that. <laughs> hashtag bring your own thermometer. No, sorry. It's hashtag BYO thermometer. My yeah, bad. There you go. Um, and I'm also at eco underscore RK. So I use eco underscore RK as the like biodiversity Evan. And okay. Temp Talker mm. is the like heat Evan. So that's where you can find me on social media. It could be a new song. It could be an old song. It could be whatever song that's on your mind. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'll still go with Moana. Uh, with Not a song, <laughs> yes. but the movie. Have you guys seen it? Yes, I, I have it. What? It's, I've seen it twice. It's really twice, good. Twice, right? It's on, is go it on, on Netflix? Uh, yeah. It is on Netflix. Okay. Maybe I'll make that my to-do list. You have today. to. I cried. My day off I cried list. both times that I watched it. Aww. Right? It's so good. Oh, we, I guess we can't talk about what part that yeah, you cried at. Yeah, no. not seen it. Spoiler. Okay. Anyway, Sorry. any song from Moana is my song of the week. You, after watching that two times in a row, just like you, Min, i like been listening to the soundtrack <laughs> nonstop, but probably favorite song might be You're Welcome. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda oh. wrote the soundtrack. So everything is brilliant and funny. Um, You're Welcome is sung by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And it's just hilarious. That's my song of the week. You're welcome. <laughs> um, wait, do you like that shiny song? Because that might be the weirdest song ever. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd say. It's sung by <laughs> Jermaine, like another from the uh, Fight of the Conquerors. I mean, it's just brilliant. I wanted to uh, do some research into how they made Moana. Because there were some parts that I didn't truly understand how it fit in, like that giant crab. Um, but I didn't know if that was part of like um, that folklore from that oceanic area. Do you happen to know anything about that? I don't know about Tamatoa, who's the giant crab, but I did read a lot of articles about the folklore or the legend, the lore of Moana um, mm-hmm. and and kind of where they got it right and where they didn't. Um, and uh, and so there's, it's kind of mixed reviews. Some people are like, it's people who are most excited about uh, this idea of the long pause, which is a strange part of Samoan or uh, Polynesian history where people just didn't travel, didn't go between islands yeah. for a long time, and then all of a sudden they did, and no one knows why. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the biggest archaeological and anthropological mysteries in that part of the world, oh, and wow. this movie brings that to light, and that's awesome. Okay. Uh, there's other parts that people weren't as happy about, uh, especially the like over-references to coconuts, which... 
can be considered a kind of derogatory uh, term for people from Ooh. that part of the world. Um, okay. So gotcha. mixed reviews on the you know folklore and legend and kind of legend world that it exists in, but generally positive that it's great that we're bringing this to light. We have an amazingly strong uh, woman lead who doesn't. Oh, I guess no spoilers. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you can't end with strong woman lead and say J.K. <laughs> no, I mean that part's the true. All right, I'll spoil it. Right. You can spoil it. It's fine. Thank you. See, normally they like at these movies, they'll fall in love at the end, right? And that's like yeah. that if women are just like these women characters are supposed to, you know, they can be as strong as they want, but they still find a guy. That's why Frozen mm-hmm. was like pretty amazing because like she chose mm-hmm. the sister. Sisterly Sorry. love. Another spoiler. I cried at that point. Right? But same thing Moana. Yeah, but- There's no love story. It's about a strong character who cares about her family. She makes a friend. She makes friends, but there's no like... She's not in this movie to fall in love. She's in the movie to save the world, and she does. Oh, another spoiler. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was a pretty good... Um, you tiptoed pretty well, I think. You didn't give away too much of Moana, except for, like, you know, a few, a few, a few little details. <laughs> Shut up. I mean, it's a Disney movie. I know. Like you it. should expect that she's going to save the world and that she's going to... Yeah. You'd expect she'd fall in love, right? But she doesn't, because it's... Yeah, you would it's expect fine. that. Yeah, you don't have to fall sure. in love. Just... You don't have to fall in love, <laughs> right? That's that's my See, song of the week. That was a that was a good song of the week. Um, because normally I don't think I have really an explanation as to why my song of the week is mine, but yeah. uh, mine is uh, "Rich Love" from One Republic, Ooh, and especially the Seeb uh, remix. I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly. Seeb S E E B. Um. I haven't really had a chance to really dig into what the lyrics mean. I just think it's like about meeting real good people and then also meeting fake people when you're in the business of Hollywood. I'm probably making all this up and it's probably never of their intentions to like <laughs> discuss this topic in their song. But I discovered it on the wonderful Spotify playlist, one of them. And uh, I like it a lot. Uh, so I can't sing it and we can't play it, but just trust me and we'll have it on our website. Go find it. Yeah. Uh yeah, Castle. Are you gonna do all three? Or are you gonna pick I am. one? I'm gonna do all three. It's but been I'm a while. Only, since I'm only we've gonna had a talk podcast. in depth about one. Okay. Um, so go for it. Go so for my it. favorite three songs of the week are "Sorry Not Sorry" by Demi Lovato. Um, would <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind by Pretty Much? Um, and I sent this to you, men. But Pretty Much is a new boy band that was put together by Simon Cowell. Mm. What? Um. I'm assuming they're supposed to replace One Direction because they're kaput now. Um, but because I've been watching the boy band show, which at this point I've stopped watching because I can't handle it anymore. And Is it too bad? What's wrong with it? It's not bad. It's just there are three performances in an hour. And so they could show all three in 15 minutes, but they drag it out and show you, show you, show them like practicing and like fighting and like having like weird drama. And it's, I just end up fast forwarding it. Drama. Yeah, I just end up fast forwarding it to the performances. Um, so yeah, but that song is really good. It's pretty. It's kind of a just a teenage teeny bopper kind of song. Um, I don't think there's much meaning behind it. But my last song is called "Such a Boy" by Astrid S. Um, I'm not sure who Astrid S is, but I love her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's she's really talented. I listened to the um, the instrumental. Uh, acoustic version of, of such a boy uh, she was like singing it playing the piano and singing it on a lake 
Yeah. So if you haven't checked that part okay. out yet, I should look but uh, yeah, go for it. Why is that your song of the week? I love this one because it's kind of flipping the script on this idea where um, I feel like we as a society say a lot of things about being a girl, like, oh, you throw like a girl or um, I don't know. You're like emotional you, like a woman. Yeah, exactly. Like, and we never say anything uh, about like a boy, like you're as strong as a boy or you're stupid as a boy or something like that. I don't know. But she kind of flips the script and she goes through this story of what it would be like if we were to blame things and use like the gender preference of male on them. Um, so it's pretty interesting to see her kind of flip the script on this societal understanding of uh, the use of the female gender as a way to depict kind of like negative negativity and how she flips it on being a male which i just think is pretty yeah because cool. i think in the song she's looking more for fun and the guy's looking for like a relationship i think and so like oh you're being such a boy like you're being so clingy you want like all this stuff i'm just looking for some fun and so i think that um that idea is always seen to be like the girl or the woman who wants to have a relationship. And the guy's just like, nah, man, I'm just a hoe. I'm just trying to <laughs> do some things. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting take on it. And, and I, I'm glad that this type of um, ideas, these ideas are coming up more and more where we kind of think about, you know, why do we think this way as a society? And then there's an enjoyable song and instrumental to the song. Is. So Love it. being catchy does not hurt. <laughs> but <laughs> does not at least hurt. there's a good message behind it for sure. Um but yeah, great great choices, everybody. That's awesome. Yay. <laughs> uh Evan, before we let you go and let you get out of your car, hopefully it's not too hot. It's pretty cloudy <laughs> here in New York, so I, know. I assume you're, it's pretty cool. You're getting in, uh, into in my territory of research. I, I thought about that. Baby. Yeah, I thought about that when I was saying I was sitting in my car and like they're definitely gonna have something snarky to say about that for you know from a meteorological <laughs> perspective. Can I just say um so I live in an apartment, our landlords live above, they have an amazing black cat named Mr. Jingles, who's an outdoor oh. cat, unfortunately, because that means he kills birds and stuff. But Aww. sitting in my car for this past hour has been a great opportunity to just like watch Mr. Jingles just like sneak around the backyard and i just think i should do this more often it's great oh my gosh uh, individualized cat behavior yeah. wow <laughs> i see icb it's another icb oh Definitely. my gosh well other i mean you know how they they put the cameras on the dogs and cats so, yeah you know you have these videos of them like indiv- like how they experience their day oh, yeah, while you're gone true. all right well can i just so, say one more thing when i first came up yeah. with this iet idea it was i didn't want to put eye buttons on people i the first idea is actually to put them on squirrels <laughs> with little vests thinking about cool. how the urban heat island was experienced by squirrels who are like climbing up and down trees all the day and like yeah. getting different stratification layers of the atmosphere and on a really small scale but then there was so many problems with like animal doing animal research so then i went to people yeah well um just to let you know uh so i'm at fire island uh national seashore right now doing uh, some climate change work and they're doing a lot of research on different types of animals here so for one thing they're doing deer tracking to understand how deer move around on the island and so we have collars on them and we get to observe where they move how often they move and like just understand their habitat a little bit better and so if we're able to like put eye buttons on these deer on their collar that would give us like even better like information about 
um, their experiences because right now I think what they do is they uh, write down the temperature when they see the deer and track the deer, but mm. that's about it. And like the, the conditions for the day, but right. not on a more specific level. So I feel like I told you earlier when we were here before we recorded, I think you'd be in like, you'd do so well in the national park service doing a bunch of awesome work. And I could definitely see that kind of work being well received and funded um, in the future, hopefully with um, park service or department of interior. So uh, talk to me about some stuff in the after we get off uh, in the next few months or whatever, and then we can see what happens. When do you graduate again? I hope to graduate this May, but that sounds really awesome. Yeah, for sure. Anything like where I mean, this is a great network of awesome people, and like you met Dave and talked to him about awesome stuff. Like this is what it's all about. Like getting these <laughs> ideas and and projects together and and making uh making things happen. Oh, getting man. on the train getting on that train that i don't know who the conductor and how long the train or is where the tracks in, are at or in the car is it, is it an driveway. amtrak <laughs> yeah or a car in the driveway whatever it takes we got this um but yeah evan thank you so much for being on it was so great catching yeah, up with you, you and and learning more about the stuff that you do and as always if you ever want to come back on and talk about the other aspects of your research for your yeah. masters we would love to have you on it was such an honor to be on this show you guys are so awesome and inspiring and uh I'm just so thrilled to get to talk with you both again. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy the show. Castle, Castle Williams, which, by the way, I saw the actual Castle Williams in New York on Governor's Island. Oh, yeah. You said that. Dude, that was so cool. So I took a ferry from Brooklyn to, or Manhattan to Governor's Island, which is like this little island near New York City. And it's like a National Park Service, uh, I guess, cultural monument. And it literally had a big sign. It's like Castle Williams, because that's the name of the castle. (laughs) And I was just like, holy crap and i was like just like freaked out and told all my friends and went to take a photo and sent it to you and i was like i never knew that this existed and then again i don't google your name very often but you knew that existed right yeah i have i admittedly i have googled my Who name myself before and um that's all that shows up is like loads of castle williams there's a bunch in like england oh, and really? Ireland. no nice. um, so yeah you have to type in Castle Williams weather for anything to come up about me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess in saying your name and then thinking about that, what I was really going to try to ask was we haven't talked in a while. We haven't really recorded in a while. We've been really busy. Uh, so maybe tell some of the mm-hmm. listeners what's uh, what's been going on in your life. So I've been a bit overwhelmed in uh, the craziness of the summer, but I've been writing a lot. Um, I actually just went to Silver Spring, Maryland to NOAA headquarters. Um, some of you may have seen the photo of me with Louie. Who is um, that Cicilini. again for people who don't know? Um, I s- he is the director of the National Weather Service. I was able to sit in a room with him for an hour and we talked about my uh, social science project that I'm doing with headquarters with the hazard simplification project. Um, so it was really cool to have his ear for an hour, like for him to devote that much time. Um, it's great. Um, also in there was Sean Ernst. He is a Holling scholar that was also doing a social science project. So it was cool for us to kind of go in there together and talk about social science for an hour with the director of the National Weather Service. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool. I got to meet a lot of really interesting people 
at headquarters. I went to several meetings and it made me feel really important. You are important. That they were like, uh, I know, but it was, it, it was just like a cool feeling to be in a room where they were going, they were designing a survey for some of the consolidation efforts and they came by my cubicle and was like, Castle, we could really use your survey kind of experience. Do you mind stepping in on the meeting? And I was like, no, that's cool. It just felt cool to be like yeah. helpful and like uh, people listening awesome. to you, I guess. It was just really nice. a cool experience. Other than that, I have just been trying to balance my life with tennis. I have started oh my playing gosh. tennis again and it I makes me feel uh, so I want to play with you. I haven't played tennis in so long and I've been wanting to play so much um and then the u.s open is coming to new york i think next week or the week after so i want to go there um our friend josh who's up in albany uh wants to he always goes every Mm -hmm. year so i think we're trying to go if we can but tickets are really expensive right now but i think the day the day beforehand sometimes they'll reduce the prices pretty cheap to be able to see it um, but also, I want to see Serena Williams, mm-hmm. but she's kind of preggers right now. So that might be a little hard. She might be cheering yeah. on her sister Venus, and I love <laughs> Venus too. Yeah, so hopefully I can be. meet um, I can meet some of them. I've always wanted to see Serena play, and so I'm kind of sad that she won't be able to play. But there's plenty of other awesome tennis players out there that I hopefully can, can meet up with. Right. Um, did I ever tell you that I was the ball boy for a tennis tournament when I was younger? So when I was no. in middle school, I uh, there used to be this tennis tournament down in Florida at Amelia Island called the Bausch and Lomb tournament. They make like eye mm-hmm. contacts and like uh, other things for your eyeballs. <laughs> um, so they sponsored. Oh yeah, I used their contact yeah. solution. Yeah. Bausch so they Lomb. sponsored the tournament in Amelia Island, and every year it was at Amelia Island, and so it was like what two hours away from Savannah where I lived, and so I remember. You know, we had a friend, a family friend who their son did it. So they're like, oh, you guys should do it, too. So I remember like one day my brother and I, my dad drove us down to Amelia Island on a weekday, like right after school. And then we would go to uh, practice sessions on how to throw the ball to the different tennis players. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you have to hold a ball and you have to throw it at a certain like power level and then it has to hit the Angle. the court at the right way so when the ball gets to the player it gets like to their waist level so they can catch the ball or put it on the racket oh, throwing it too yeah. hard too soft you know that's not good uh <laughs> then we practice like rolling the ball too, like rolling the ball through like along the net rolling the ball behind the court and then stuff like that and then um mm. you have to hold the ball in a certain way and you hold it behind your arms or behind your back and you cross your arms and then when the tennis player is looking at you you put your arms out and you have as many balls in your hand as you do two or three balls in a hand at a time and then they'll nod at you and when they nod at you that's their acknowledgement for you to throw a ball at them and then they'll grab the ball squish it to see if they like it and then they'll hit the ball back to you if they don't want it or they'll put it in their pocket or their skirt if they do like that ball so it's just like mm-hmm. So do they nod every time they want a ball? So if they need three, do they nod? Uh, three they'll times? either nod or they'll look at you, depending on just each uh, player's preference. Um, but I mm-hmm. I remember one time I was ball boying for this uh, a qualifying mat- round with a player named Barbora Strakova, and I think she's f- uh, I can't remember what country she's from, but I remember like tossing the ball at her and she was losing, so she was like really angry. So she got her tennis racket and like hit the ball really hard towards me, and I like freaked out. I got scared. I was like, oh, my God, Like she's trying to hit me. And the people in the crowd and everybody was like, whoa, like, that's not cool. Um, now I'm pretty sure she's like a top 25 player. So this was like 10 years ago. You should definitely go 
You should go meet Excuse with her me, and man. Be like, you remember that scared boy? <laughs> that was Mom. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a very like scary experience, but uh, it did not turn me away from tenants because I actually played in high school a bunch and I played as a kid a lot too. Um, but yeah, no, I want to play again at some point. Yeah, you should just make it happen. I don't have my racket like, up I, here though. That's kind of hard to make it happen if I don't have a racket. Oh, I should have brought it. Yeah. I'm dumb. I was just to a point where I was like, I want to play, but I don't have time. And I was like, you know what? I have Who are you time, playing no with? What? I just said. Um, so there's a group of us. We're trying to actually get an intramural oh. team together for the fall. In, the, which in your I'm department? Really or... um, okay. Yeah, in the department. Um, but I play with, uh, well, I play doubles with Shayna and Neil. And they play my, tennis? my friend Sam. Yeah. And then I play singles oh, nice. with Sam. Um, so we I don't know do Sam, that. but I always see him. He went to Virginia Tech, right? Because I always see yes, him like pop up on like all my Virginia Tech friends like Facebook pages. I'm like, who are you? Yep. <laughs> so Sam, if you're listening, hello. I don't know who you are, but I hear about you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we've been playing like we're pretty evenly matched, which I really enjoy, Sam and I. And so we play for like nice. three or four hours every time we play singles. We always do like a tiebreaker between yeah. sets and stuff. So did uh, you and me cool. played like once or twice throughout undergrad, right? I recall playing okay. once, but I also don't. It's very, very hazy as yeah, well. Yeah, I feel like I was playing with you <laughs> for a little memory. bit. And then my other friend ended up coming out after you to play with me because I knew you were only able to play for like an hour or something like that. Yeah, I remember someone else that shall not be named play, being played oh, as well. Oh, shoot. Playing, playing with us or playing with someone. Oh, yeah. I, never I mind. Oh, I do. Okay. I have a feeling that, that was that, that, that was that was moment. There. Oh my god, you're so right. Oh my god, and you yeah. you you were just like yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, because it we were told how amazing this person was, yet no. that was not the case whatsoever. <laughs> not, oh the case. not the case. Always when you go into a situation where you are playing a sport and you don't know how the other people are, always come in humble. It does not hurt, and if you're great, yes. cool. If you're not great. Again, it's okay because nobody knows how good or bad you are. Don't come in bragging because right. that will come back and like literally bite you in the butt. Just word of advice to you people, yep. FYI. <laughs> you people. Um, okay, so enough about me. What about you? What have you been up to? I've been seeing lots of travel and we had a little airport conversation on Twitter. Yeah, the other day, so, so what have there's you a been lot of things, to? but I guess I'll just talk about a few of them. So I was flying out of JFK last week and... Um, they didn't make me take off my shoes. They didn't make me take out the liquids out of my bag or my laptop out of my bag. And I didn't understand because when I fly out of a smaller airport like Savannah, they literally take my laptop and they wand it for like explosives, I think. And they, they always catch it if I have a bottle that's over like what, four or three fluid ounces is the rule. Yeah. Three so anytime it's like 3.5, they always grab it and throw it away. I'm like, dang it. Like that's my, you know, deodorant or whatever. Um, and so I was wondering like how that worked. And so you were telling me like, it's really random. Sometimes it does it. They do it. Sometimes they don't make you take stuff out of your bag. Um, when I was flying back from Denver this, uh, a few days ago, they had the same thing. And the TSA, I asked him, I was like, so, you know, I don't know if you're allowed to tell me, but is there a reason why I don't have to take this stuff out of my bag? And he's like, well, yeah, it's really simple. You walk past a canine dog and when the dog smells you, they smell everything and it's fine. They don't detect anything. You're good. And so I guess That's it's common true. knowledge because he told everybody in the line. So it's not like it's like private TSA protocol. But I was like, "That's a good point because the smaller airports don't have a dog, and the bigger airports do." 
and mm-hmm. it makes everything faster like we were like walking so quickly through the line even though the line would have if you had you know taken out everything it would have taken forever but i just wanted to make sure that the security aspect of our flight wasn't compromised by some like weird thing and i was like this dog better be like really trained such a good just saying, you know i know and that's a lot, a lot of, of weight things. to put on a, a puppy like how does he sniff out a knife or something uh, i mean the knife is is still detected through the x-ray machine but it's more about like the oh, explosives <laughs> how do you smell a knife <laughs> by putting it close to your nose and hoping you don't cut it um that is true now that you say that there have been dogs on the two occasions that, there that has go. happened to me weird right but then my other friend who was in line they made her take everything out even though she walked past a dog so again this is like not completely clear how they do it uh yeah so i was flying through uh to denver to get to fort collins because i had a um a workshop symposium for the program i'm in so i'm in the youth leaders uh, or young leaders in climate change program through the george melendez wright uh organization and we team up with the climate change response program in fort collins and that is helping to give me and several of the students an opportunity to work with national parks on climate change research. A lot of acronyms. Sorry about that just now. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I got to meet some incredible people. Everybody was incredible. Not only the uh, National Park Service and other Department of Interior agency representatives, but also the cool mentors we've had all summer um, and also the students, too, which gives me such hope always when I meet people my age or younger who have such aspirations and have been doing incredible work uh, so far. I mean, we all have different types of research that we're doing. Like I'm doing climate change communication. Uh, another student is doing, um, you know, minority populations in LA and how to uh, bring them and connect them closer to national parks and nature when that is not necessarily a priority within their uh, communities. And then someone else is doing research mm-hmm. on pikas, which are little like rabbit related animals that are so cute. And they live in Rocky Mountain National Park. Other ones are doing like research about salamanders, glaciers, vernal pools, um, air quality. It's really cool the breadth of research that's happening with just like the 11 students that are, uh, are in this program. So got to do that and uh, got to go to Rocky Mountain National Park again for a little bit and got my little junior ranger badge. That was cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just such a, a great experience to, to go out there for a little while. And then come back. I have a lot of work I'm working on right now at uh, at Fire Island, developing some toolkits and information and uh, shared content articles, which are like web articles that will be able to um, live in a different uh, different websites and different spaces. And so I'm working on that and some other digital articles right now. And then next week, I'm going to Cape Cod to uh, learn about what they're doing at their national seashore in terms of science and climate change and uh, communicating that information. So um, super stoked about all this, and I think it's going to be great. Uh, but I just need a chance to like kind of settle down and breathe for a little bit, you know, just like you. Summer, which yep. Yep. should be a chiller time, has not been so chill after all. But the experiences have been I, great. It turns into this, oh, I have a lot more time now. I can do a lot more things, which shouldn't yeah, be Yeah, when you were talking case. about writing, I was like, I need to edit my... Um, my public or my uh, thesis so i can get a manuscript thesis. and start doing that soon too so mm-hmm. uh yeah i don't know if i have time for that right now i might have to wait a little bit but i really do need to crank it out soon ish you want to wrap it up castle go sure. for it actually i think you have to do it because it's your signature okay line. fine 
Uh, so, you can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype and weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words weather and hype, or you can send us an email at weatherhype at Reviews are always lovely, and we have a lot of great reviews from people, and so we love your feedback. So feel free to go on your Android app uh, for podcasts, or your Google Play app, or your Apple iTunes podcast app and leave a review for us. We're going to start updating a little bit more on Twitter to get you guys uh, you know, yes. uh, in the know about what we do. Uh, again, it's been really busy and we do apologize, but we are not going away right now, so don't don't think that. We're still here. Nope. We're still breathing. Just binge listen to some old ones and then you'll be ready to listen to the new ones. Ta-da! Uh, exactly. Well, until next time, stay until hyped! Next time, stay hyped! I'm gonna go watch Moana. Bye. Alrighty. See ya.